That was fun, right? Good morning, friends. My name is Katie. I'm so excited to be here with you today. It is a big day because this is the launch of Love Your Neighbor Week. So I want to just say thank you to those of you that have signed up. If you have filled up one or two or more of those bags with the donations that we've asked for to help us with our partner sites, thank you. We're so grateful. If you have been partnering with us through prayer, thank you. We are so excited to see what God has in store. Because Love Your Neighbor Week, it's not just one week. It is a week where we go on a mission trip to our own community, to our region. But it is the beginning of what our heart is to do all year long. And so being part of it is just really significant. Uh, as we collectively go out together, we get to connect with one another, we get to connect with our community, and most importantly, we get to connect with the Lord as we just walk out what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be. Uh, so thank you so much. We're really excited. So this Find Your People series, David started it last week, talking about the value of having people in your life, a village. So now that we know that we need a village, if you don't know that you need a village, go ahead and watch that sermon again. Uh, but today we're going to talk about how we participate in the village. How can we be intentional about taking care of one another and serving one another? Because over and over again in Scripture, we find how God instructs and examples how we should love. We're going to look at Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. There's another verse where Jesus, right after he washes his disciples' feet, tells them, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This is not a new declaration or direction for followers of Jesus. This isn't a theological shift or a new focus for the church. The people of God have always, always throughout human history been called to love and to serve. If we go back to the early church, uh, it was known for this one thing, what it was meant to be a follower of Jesus, to take care of each other. So we're going to start with a history lesson. Uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I used to be a history teacher. I don't know if that makes me cooler or less cool to you right now, uh, but I wanted to leverage the opportunity to do a little ancient civilizations. Uh, so we're going to go back to third century Rome. This is not a real picture, but we're going to use it because it's a likeness, okay? There we go. Um, it's around 256 AD, and they are in the midst of a lot of crises. There's a pandemic happening. There's a lot of political unrest. And I know that that's really hard for us to fathom, guys. I'm asking us to stretch so early in the morning. Like, what's it like to live in a pandemic and political upheaval, right? What, how do we even? Let's just try to put our minds around those things, okay? So in the middle of all of this chaos, the Roman government is trying to figure out who they have power over, like really, and who they don't. And the church is fracturing in all of this too because there's some infighting. They can't decide whether or not they should be taking care of the sick people. They can't decide whether or not they should be following all of these rules and systems within the Roman government. During this time, there's a guy named Cyprian who wrote to encourage believers and remind them how to tell if their faith was real or not. So here's Cyprian, and here's what he said. We do not speak great things, but we live them. I wonder if he may have been reminding them of James's encouragement to believers centuries before. We're going to go to James. What good is it, my brothers and my sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no, has no deeds? Can such faith save them? 
Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Cyprian was encouraging the followers of Jesus not to forget, in the midst of all of that chaos, what they were called to. The Christians responded not by running through the streets or protesting, but they just started taking care of people. The church became known as a blessed nuisance to the Roman authorities. Blessed because they managed to do so much of the care that the government couldn't do, and nuisance because they refused to live in the social norms of the Roman Empire and the hierarchies involved. They refused to ignore people in need. Cyprian's words echo what James said, and James was teaching what Jesus taught. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, launched his public ministry by saying that he came to preach the good news to the poor, and he spent a great deal of his earthly ministry meeting the physical and the spiritual needs of people. One of the most powerful examples of this, friends, is in Luke 10, and we're going to spend time there today. It is one of the most well-known parables that Jesus ever told, and one of my favorites. Two huge things I want to remind you of before we start, though. I think we need to have our minds on this as we go. It is possible for you to love people and not love God, but it is impossible for you to love God and not love people. So hold that in your minds as we start going. So the story starts off with a lawyer. He's a religious leader, an expert in the law, and asks Jesus a question. This is the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So this guy's an expert in the law. He's probably testing Jesus, and Jesus is a smart guy. He knows, right? He knows this guy. Jesus, per usual, tosses the question back and says, well, you're an expert in the law. Why don't you answer that question? What does the law say? So the lawyer responded, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He got the answer right. And Jesus even tells him he got the answer right. Jesus says, you have the right answer. Now go and do it and you will live. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But it hit the lawyer. Have you ever asked a question and you got the answer and then you were like, wait, what? Like, maybe that's not, I do that all of the time at the Target checkout when I think I only got a couple things and then I see the total and I'm like, I'm going to have to circle back. I'll see you in a minute, right? The lawyer realized that Jesus is telling him that it's not enough to just know the information. He's got to put it into action. So he asks Jesus an important and telling question. And who's my neighbor? Just for some context, the lawyer, I think, is searching for a loophole. He's trying to justify himself because at this time, a common teaching of the day would have made a clear distinction that your neighbor, are, it's people like you. So it would have been fellow Israelites. What Jesus is about to do is expand the parameters of who his neighbor is. And he does this by telling a story, the one we probably all know so well. This story that Jesus tells is critical because it answers two questions. The first one is, who is my neighbor that I'm called to love? And what does it look like to go and do that? Let's go to Luke 10.30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So Jesus starts telling this story, and the roads still exist today. 
Just to give you an idea, it's a 17-mile stretch of road from the holy city of Jerusalem down to the city of Jericho by the Dead Sea. This road is super steep. It drops 4,000 feet in that 17 miles with rocks on either side of the road. And back in the day, robbers would hide in the rocks, and as people came by, they would jump out, attack them, rob them, and then jump back in the rocks and wait for the next guy. So there's a man, probably a Jewish man, coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he gets beat and robbed and left for dead. Scripture says he's dying on the road. What Jesus says next is that there are two guys walking by on the road, and they see this dying man. What Jesus is doing is painting a picture of what it looks like to not love your neighbor. He's going to show us a picture of what it looks like when people say they love God, but they don't actually show it in their actions. So let's pick back up in the story. Luke 10, 31 through 32. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So a treacherous road and a Jewish man lying on the ground near death. Priests were basically the pastors of the day, and the Levite were not priests, but they would assist the priests in religious services. So you've got these two guys walking down the road, probably just leaving from performing services in God's church when they see this dying guy. Anybody hearing this story would have assumed that it was this dying guy's lucky day, because if there was anybody that ought to know that you don't just say you love God, but you do it with your actions, it would have been these two guys. Of course they would stop, right? But what happens? They step on the other side of the road. So here's a question. Why? Why do you think these guys that would have been the first people to tell you they love God pass by? Jesus doesn't actually answer the question, but there are a few things we can infer from the text. I think the first one is fear. There's a really good chance that these guys didn't stop because of fear. They knew the road. They knew that it was highly likely that the people that had just hurt that guy were probably still in the rocks, and they'd be next. Fear of what could happen if they stopped and loved their neighbor is actually what kept them from loving their neighbor and fulfilling the second greatest commandment. I don't think, just a side note, I don't think scripture is teaching us that the only definition of loving your neighbor is intentionally putting yourself in harm's way. But I think that sometimes it can be part of what that means. The principle here is what I want to dig into. How often in your life, in my life, just like the priest and the Levite, have we allowed fear to keep us from fulfilling the second greatest commandment? Fear of inadequacy, fear of enabling, fear of it never ending or burnout, fear of offending somebody, fear of what others will think about you, fear of maybe people getting in your business because the more people in your life, maybe the more problems you think you're going to have. How often have you allowed fear to stop you from seeing and engaging the people around you? When you felt pressed to check in on somebody, but you didn't do anything, felt prompted to tell somebody about Jesus or share your own story with them, and you didn't, stopped from reaching out to a friend in need because you're afraid of what they might think about you or what they may think you think about them. Maybe you see someone in a store and you feel like you should say hello or share an encouraging word or even help carry groceries, but you're afraid they'll think you're nuts. Uh, I want to tell you about one of my friends that didn't let fear get in the way. Uh, This is Bill. This is my friend Bill. Years ago, probably 10 years ago, it was during a Love Your Neighbor Week that we called Love Week at the time. Uh, Bill was in a local hardware store with his wife Nancy, and they saw a group of people in red shirts, just like the one he's wearing, 
Uh, they didn't know any of the people, but they were intrigued. So they went over right through the potential fear and just asked a group of people what they were up to. And this group happened to be a group of Fountain Springers. They were serving with Love Week, and they had to go to the store and get more supplies. And something really cool happened. Bill and Nancy, uh, his wife, came back to Rapid City. They come every summer and frequently throughout the year to visit family. But they started from that point on attending Fountain Springs Church and not only attending their Love Your Neighbor Week leaders now. They have been serving actively ever since. I think it's brave and amazing what they did, and it's life-changing. Because if you've ever been part of Love Week or Love Your Neighbor Week, so many of the incredible elements that we have and do are because of Bill and his heart and his love for Jesus. I can't even imagine what my life would be like or our ministry would be like without these friends. And it all started with a little courage in a hardware store. I think that if there was an emergency, we'd stop everything and we would go help people. We would pull over or we'd go running, administer CPR, all of that. But I think it's the little moments, too, that might seem small and insignificant that are life-changing. I've grown up hearing this Good Samaritan story my whole life, and I've thought, how could they do that? How could they just not stop? But the longer I've lived and the more I think about it, I realize I'm just like those guys. And probably for more than no other reason, it's because of fear. And I wonder if there are situations in your life that are the same. Jesus doesn't just come out and say it, but I think there's another reason why these guys don't stop. These two men that are supposed to know God more than anybody else, I think it may have been flat-out inconvenient for them. That's simple, and that's sinful. We're going to go to Numbers 19. I know most of you probably spent the entire week studying in the book of Numbers, but if you'll just bear with me, we're going to look at it again, okay? 19, 11 through 12. Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then they will be clean. But if they do not purify themselves on the third and seventh days, they will not be clean. If they fail to purify themselves after touching a human corpse, they defile the Lord's tabernacle. They must be cut off from Israel. Because the water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on them, they are unclean. Their uncleanness remains on them. You all understood that right now. That's, that's a lot of repetition. When I say something more than once, it's because I really mean it. Like, stop hitting your brother, right? Or both. Stop licking whatever, the shopping cart. Like, over and over and over again. We say things because it's really important, right? So in Numbers, which you all, I'm sure, are experts in, we see over and over and over again this repetition of, of rules. This is in their mind. Because who hung out in the temple? Priests and Levites. Who would take on the risk of losing everything if they stopped and this man died in their care? These guys. If I stop to fill this, fulfill the second commandment, there are all of these other commandments that I'm not going to be able to fulfill. Again, I ask, does this sound familiar? How many times in our lives, in whatever situation or sphere that we find ourselves in, do we encounter a need, maybe even feel bad about the need, but we weigh the cost to ourselves, to our schedule, to our life, and just like these guys, we walk right on by the need. There was a 2021 study that, that showed that actually 40% of Americans avoid their neighbors, the ones that live right near them. They avoid them intentionally. The top reason was it's inconvenient. They're too busy. 
They don't have time to stop and talk and get to know people. They don't make the time. The second reason was because they think their neighbors are weird. But we're not going to go into that. We'll dive into that some other time. Uh, As believers, we know better, but we don't always do better. The priest and the Levite knew exactly what the scripture said about loving their neighbor, and I would say that we do too. But for a lot of reasons, likely fear and inconvenience, they pass. Jesus tells this part of the story first to show us what not to do. And as he finishes the story, he shows us a picture of what it looks like to do it his way. Let's go to Luke 10, 33 through 34. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he could take care of him. I think it's important for us to remember who the Samaritan would have been in that story. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were hated. They were looked down upon because they were half Jewish blood and half foreign blood. The Jews despised them. They thought that they were second-class citizens. So this Samaritan walking by sees a man lying on the ground, and it's highly likely that that man was a Jewish man. So the Samaritan would have probably known that this man on the ground would have hated his guts. And it would have been really clear to the people that Jesus is sharing this story to. If anyone would have been justified in seeing this man on the ground and walking by, it would have been the Samaritan. But Jesus says, he saw, he had compassion, he did something. We're going to keep this phrase up, because if there's anything that you take away from our time this morning, it's those eight words. In those eight words, Jesus tells it exactly what it looks like for you and for me to love our neighbor. Being an active part of a village, loving our neighbor, is so much more than being nice to the people that live next to us, much more than bringing cookies and not shouting when their music's too loud or they're driving too fast or going over and just inviting them to church. It can be all of those things, but it's so much more. The biblical definition of what loving our neighbor is is in those eight words. He saw He had compassion. He did something. And as far as I can tell, that phrase in the New Testament shows up in five different stories. This is the first one that we are going to look at today. But there are four other times. In Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And it continues in 10.1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He saw, he had compassion, he did something. Matthew 14, 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He saw, he had compassion, he did something. Luke 7, 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. This is the sweetest story. There was a widow, just lost her husband, and now her only son has died. And Jesus comes, has compassion, and raises that child back to life. Luke 15, 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He saw, he had compassion, he did something. The exact same phrase Jesus uses to describe the actions of the Samaritan towards his mortal enemy dying on the ground is the same exact phrase that Jesus uses to describe how to love your neighbor. He saw, he had compassion, he did something. Was he in danger of being attacked? Probably yes. Would he have had a schedule to keep and important things going on? Probably yes. 
And this may all seem overwhelming, I think. When we think about the magnitude, there's so many needs grabbing for our attention. We cannot possibly heal every hurt or fix every complex social issue. And if we really tried, I think we'd lose our jobs and totally deplete, deplete our own health. I think sometimes, too, we can have the best heart and the best intentions, but still do some major harm to ourselves and others. This usually happens when we try to be rescuers instead of neighbors. Even when I just think about it, there's an image that comes to mind that I always show my kids on the first day of school to remind them that it's going to be hard, but it's going to be okay. Um, we want to go into the world, and we want to just take it on. We want to see people. We want to help them. And we go out like this sweet little girl on, this is her first day of school, the before school started picture. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's the sweetest little picture. Look how happy she is. But then we come home exhausted and worn out, maybe a little burnout like that, <laughs> right? This is, this is what happens to us. We let our fear of insecurities or just the enormity of the needs that we know exist and encounter stop us from doing anything. So I want to take us back to the story and look at what the Good Samaritan did. Then a despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he could take care of him. Being part of a village, loving your neighbor, has to start with being predetermined to pay attention to what's going on around us. You can't do everything, you shouldn't do everything, but you've got to be present and see people. And how do we do that? I think we go back to the two questions that Jesus answers through this parable. Who is my neighbor? Anybody that God places in your path. And how am I to love them? See the person, have compassion for the person, engage the need. Even that neighbor that won't ever wave back when you smile and try to talk to them. Even the boss you can't stand. Even the person who wholeheartedly disagrees with you. Even the spouse who hasn't loved you well. Even the children who have run off or the parents who have failed you, even the person that you are sure will just never get better no matter what, even the person you see on the street asking for money every single day, you see them, you have compassion on them, you do something. The Good Samaritan also involved others, so this is where our village is so crucial. They help you remember that you cannot and should not do everything alone. Sometimes there are things that, that God is inviting you to just take care of, but other times, we, we bring in others. Uh, we have a project uh, this year that is incredible and amazing, and it's a perfect example of this, where there was a group of medical uh, professionals in town who encountered a family with a special needs child that just needed some help. Uh, this child tends to run off when they're outside and so can't go out and play because of other children in the home. They just can't take care of him and the other kiddos, and so they need a fence. They just need a fence. So this group recognized the need. They had compassion, and they reached out to us and said, we want to do this, but we can't do it alone. Can you help? And it's one of our projects this year, which is going to be amazing. And our friend Bill, that I just introduced you to, is going to lead that project. This is what happens when you see a need, you have compassion, and you do something about it. Don't ever forget that this story was told initially because a guy asked Jesus the question of how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus answers by saying that his followers are going to be known by the way they love God and the way they love people. This is who we are. That's us, you and me. 
So how are you doing in that area? There's a quote that I heard a while back that I think about a lot. I actually heard it at a funeral of a friend in town who was an unhoused person that we loved so much. And at the funeral, I heard, I heard this quote, um, and it has stuck with me ever since. It is, we are all just walking each other home. Life is short. People matter. How can we walk like out, seeing others and having compassion for others? This week, our village is going to walk out into this region together. And we're going to see people, and we're going to have compassion for people, and we're going to do something about it. I want you to know that our heart is to do this all year long, and we do this all year long. But we think it's really important every once in a while to gather us all up together and go out together. We're going to build garden boxes for neighborhoods. You saw that. We're going to paint walls for residents of places walking out of homelessness. We're going to sit with people and listen to their stories. We're going to go see our neighbors, and we're going to have compassion on our neighbors. Maybe that's where you can start. We'd love for you to join us. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for the way that you are moving um, and seeing us and inviting us to walk alongside people uh, who may need everything from some big tangible uh, support to just somebody reaching out and letting them know that they see them and they matter. Father, I pray that you would continually remind us that we can't do it all and we shouldn't do it all, but Lord, we've got to have our eyes opened. Father, we've got to be able to see what's going on around us and be ready to just make people matter in our path. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom and strength and stamina this week. Father, I pray that as people are connecting with one another, uh, I pray that you would uh, deepen friendships or create new friendships and connections. Lord, I pray that we would see our community in a new and different way, no matter how many times we have walked out to serve. Lord, that you would always remind us uh, of how special it is to take care of the place where you live and the people who are your neighbors. Lord, we just thank you for what you are doing and how you are moving. And Lord, we hand this entire week over to you. Father, we ask for your help because life is hard and heavy and we get tired. Father, just help us uh, to be the people that you've called us to be, to be good neighbors, but Lord, also to be people who are in community with one another so that we can take care of each other too as we're taking care of others. Father, we love you. We thank you. We give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen.